I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode contains stories that include state violence, racism, and homophobia. This is Queer Roots and Roots. Stories of where we come from and how we move in the world today. We are a group of people living in London. We're gay or queer, and we're mostly men. And some non-binary people who were raised as men. We're all either migrants to the UK and are racialized as being from an ethnic minority. Ill. That's just a crappier way of saying global majority. We all have different experiences and perspectives on the world. Some of us are racialized as black or brown. Some as white. Many of us have experienced racism and xenophobia. Some, some of, of us, us are, are gay, gay and, and some queer. Some of us moved to the UK by ourselves. And some are from an ancestral line that includes migrants. We, we all, every single one of us, knows what it's like to be seen as other. That is what brings us together. We're part of a community project run by The Love Tank. A not-for-profit community interest company that promotes health and well-being of underserved communities through education, capacity building and research. We wanted to make this podcast to tell our stories of crossing borders. Borders of nation states, of gender and sexuality. As a collective. We don't have a boss or a Beyonce. So, every episode of Queer Roots and Roots has a different host and a different set of voices from our group. Our promise to you is that our podcast is gorgeous, fierce, super gay and revolutionary. I'm Roberto. My pronouns are he, him. I'm hosting this episode, and it's about reinvention. I needed to start from scratch. I had a relatively good job in Mexico. I was renting my own flat, but I wasn't really present. I was drinking a lot. I was constantly angry. I was really frustrated how things work in Mexico. There is a lot of racism, classism, and a lot of nepotism. For a while, I was like, if you can't fight it, join it. But it wasn't making me feel good. I had to leave. Sometimes I still feel guilty. Instead of facing those issues and trying to work on them in Mexico, I said, bye, bitches. But I needed a big change. And I was lucky. I had the opportunity to get a UK visa, and I took it. My boyfriend at the time had a British passport, so I could get a visa through him. (laughs) 
Being completely honest, I had no expectations on moving to the UK. I don't think it was definitely related to my HIV diagnosis. I was diagnosed in 2014, but I wasn't feeling stigmatized or depressed about it. The fact is that I moved here to London in January 2016. Seven years later, well, you can take the girl out of Mexico, but you can take Mexico out of the girl. I have my roots in Mexico, as well as my new roots in London. For my episode of Queer Roots and Roots, I've picked stories from Amar, Rob, and Asad from our collective. Amar and Asad grew up here in the UK, and Rob moved to London after growing up in Poland. I want to listen to their stories because I want to find out how their experiences have shaped their values and helped to create the people they are today. Amar, Rav, Asad, they have all had to find out who they are and I guess that's what I was trying to do when I moved to the UK too. Of course, with my Mexican passport and my skin tone, I've been stopped and searched by border officials many times. American border officials are the worst. The British ones can be polite at least, but you never know if they're having a bad day. Arriving in the UK is intimidating. I remember I landed once in Heathrow and I was going through border control and the officer, the border control officer was like, where's your partner? Is she with you? And I was like, mm. It's a he, it's, it's, it's not a she, it's a he. He's not with me right now, but um, yeah. And he continued just to use she. And I tried to stay calm and just handle it because, you know, like they have so much power. Growing up in Mexico, I just don't trust the police. And it's a story that makes me see how helpless they can make us feel. Even if they say something that is not right or not true, like the border guard who used the wrong pronouns for my boyfriend, it's their word against mine. Never gonna win. This is where Amar's story begins. I'm Amar. Uh, I'm 28. Uh, my pronouns are, well, I'm on the he, him, today, them pipeline. Yet another victim of the transdemic. And a fun fact about me is when I was at university, I co-directed an a cappella Bollywood choir that performed at the Novello Theatre. Amar has a story about officers of the state, immigration officials, police. I want to listen to Amar tell their story. It was a gorgeous sunny day in Peckham, sometime in June 2022. I had dolled myself up to go out and get some little treats. I was wearing booty shorts, my ass looked great. I was wearing a sports bra, chain, trying out a high pony for the first time, and I think I rocked it. Um, and I was marching off towards Rye Lane just to go to my favourite vintage shop when I saw the call online. 
An immigration van had been spotted in Queen's Road, Peckham. Uh, seven local people had bravely stood in the way to prevent it from leaving. But someone was being detained inside the van. I rushed to join to help. And by the time I arrived, there were maybe 50 people, all of us local, blocking the immigration van from leaving the cul-de-sac. There were maybe a dozen immigration enforcement officials standing by, not quite knowing what to do. It struck me that they were the most diverse group of people uh, in terms of race that I could have imagined. They represented so many of the different communities that live within London. And here they were detaining someone in a van, ready to take them away. For the first two hours, the mood was jubilant. Gradually, the crowd swelled to about 150 people. We were chanting, we were singing, we were smoking. Someone was playing music. People come and join for an hour and then leave to go work their shifts at nearby bars. Other people were messaging all the time. Do you still need people? We're on our way. We're coming from East London. We're coming from Tottenham. A real sense of community. As the hours passed, though, we became uneasy. Surely the crowd was too big. Surely now they had to let the man inside that van go. I think it must have been around 4 o'clock or 4.30 when a TSA van carrying reinforcement cops arrived. They forced their way through to the front by the immigration van. Earlier in the day, we'd heard them speaking on the radios and saying, is anyone coming? And laughed as we heard the reply, no one's coming. But this felt like a bad development. I saw them passing out white slips of paper and it dawned on me, maybe they really did think that they could force through this crowd of 150 people, maybe they really were that determined to wrench someone out of their community. Britain is the only country in Europe that indefinitely detains migrants. We didn't know if they took this person, whether they would simply have a home office interview and be allowed to leave home, or more likely, whether they would languish in a detention centre or in home office temporary accommodation uh, until such time as their deportation was attempted. It was a shock when the police began to get violent. There were too many of us, we thought. Surely we were strong. We'd shown them. South London had shown up. But the police are there for one reason, and they do enjoy doing their jobs. Behind the van, a couple of people, a lot of them women, had been leading the chants and talking, and the police began laying into them. As they marched towards us, suddenly it dawned on me. I screamed, lock arms. All of us at the front locked arms. The last thing I saw before the cops barreled into us was a pride badge on the shoulder of one of them. What a wonderful world and country to be experiencing true gay liberation just before, just before being the recipient of state violence for attempting to stop the deportation of another human in our community. That story of the police officer wearing the pride badge makes me feel angry. There is a new report recently, an inquiry that found the Metropolitan Police in London 
are misogynist, racist, and homophobic. I'm sorry, is that breaking news? Look at what happened with the Brazilian man, John Charles de Menezes. Police suspected him as a suicide bomber. They pursued him and stopped him entering the tube. He was shot and killed. But John Charles was innocent. The senior officer who authorized that action became the commissioner, the boss of the Metropolitan Police. Or look what happened when they ignored the grinder killer in both for too long. Plus all the actions against women, it's an institution. They've been misogynist, racist, homophobic, and violent forever. Now they wear a rainbow badge while they are doing this to us? They want to be in pride. They want to be friendly. But what are they doing to make our community safe? They just want to be in the Tesco and Pepperami Pray Parade and whatever. More actions and let's talk. The police were brutal. My friend was punched in the face repeatedly. She was bleeding everywhere and crying. I didn't even notice until I saw the footage later that I'd been punched multiple times in the face too. We were gradually forced to the ground, clinging onto each other as the cops, determined to bring someone in, tried to take people from behind our lines and we clung onto them for dear life. I don't know how long, the, how long the scuffle lasted, but gradually a silence developed. I was forced on the ground, the police officer's knee on my back. It could have been seconds, it could have been minutes. Someone started chanting. When I say people, you say power. People. And the scream came from all of us. Power. We weren't going to let them do this. We knew then they'd fucked it. They thought they could get through us, they thought they could scare us, but they were wrong. It didn't matter how many cops with pride badges there were. It didn't matter how conditioned so many of us have been to respect law and order. This was real community. Eventually, the man was let out of the van. After we'd celebrated, after we'd gone to the pub, I walked back past a cul-de-sac on my way home. Two kids, maybe nine or ten in trackies, were chilling by the road. Hey you, one of them said to me. And I bristled slightly, dressing like I do, looking like I do. I'm used to kids chatting shit to me in the street. The kid paused for a minute and then said, we saw what you did. Thank you for doing that for us. I wanted to cry. We talk a lot sometimes about queer community as something distinct and separate from everyone else. As if queer community is just about going to gay bars or just about talking through when we first knew our relationships with our parents, our various traumas. But queer community is also about who we choose as part of our community. It's not just that the number of people resisting that raid at the front, for some reason, disproportionately seemed to read as queer, just to me at least. It's that we knew what it felt like to have our community brutalised by the state, and we were determined not to let that happen to anyone else either. When I hear stories of Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, Stonewall, that's what I imagine it must have been like a little bit. Because the far right and the government and the state 
are not just coming for us now. So we can't fight alone either. Amar's message, we cannot fight alone, it's important. And community, it's important. I think maybe in the past, I didn't know that. When I was in Mexico, I started hanging out with people who had higher social status than me, lots of family wealth, and I started to believe it for myself. I thought that my value came from the people around me, but I wasn't really one of them. I moved to London and I remember working in a cool restaurant called Rita's. I called my friends in Mexico and I told them it was the restaurant where Harry Styles and FK Twigs ate. It was very cool. And I said to my friend, babe, I shouldn't be working here. I should be eating here. I mean, I think about it and it, like honestly, like makes me feel so cringe. I had to deconstruct myself. I use what it was around me, like Grinder and Scruff, to hook up, but also to connect with new people, to start my new community, Slot. I started to find friends, lovers, queer siblings, and I met people doing voluntary work with HIV and LGBTQ plus organizations. Shout out to the Love Tank. I guess I had to come down to earth. It was a process of grounding and growth. That's how I found my community. Oh, fuck, this feels like a therapy session. And it's not a therapy session without some coming out stories. I want to listen to Asad and Rob's. I'm Robert. My pronouns are he, him, when out of drug. And when I'm in drug, my pronouns are she, her. And my drug persona is called Polkadot. I'm 32. And fun fact, as I already said, I'm a drag queen. I'm Assad. I'm 25. My pronouns are he, him. And my fun fact is I'm a clairvoyant. And I probably need the explanation what that is. <laughs> so a, clair a clairvoyant. Um, basically somebody who is very in touch with the spirit realm and the spirits oh. and who basically gets told things. Oh, wow. Um, like a medium. Basically a medium, yeah, like oh. a psychic medium. Oh, it's something nice. I don't talk about to many, many people very often. Oh, it's okay. basically my family and my very close friends who know this. Wow. And some random people who I'm compelled to tell things And to. people that listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, now everyone knows. Yes, yeah. that's great. Love that for me. <laughs> Amazing. I know they both found it difficult at first to know who they are, to be accepted and to find their queer families. Tell me your coming out story, if you don't mind. With me, I came out during the pandemic when I was, I think I had just turned 22. Yeah, I had just turned 22, but I came out to my closest friends. So like three of my closest girlfriends, um, because I was getting pressure applied from a cousin of mine uh, to come out. And long story short, that cousin basically blackmailed me. And then I had to tell my whole family before she did. Um, so I sat one of my, I've got, um, three older sisters. So I sat one of my sisters and my mum down, um, because I live with my mum. I did at the time and told them, 
and then instantly it was as if I'd passed away. Um, they they burst out crying as if they were mourning my my, my death or something. Um, and I was just there, didn't know how to react. I did giggle, which wasn't the best thing to do because I was just in shock. I didn't know what to do. Um, and it was really, really difficult because um, then one family member told another family member, another family told another family member. And I was told to basically not tell anybody, live my life in private, in secret, um, still marry a woman and live my secret life. And it all spiralled from there, really. And then I just had enough and decided to just do me. Um, coming out, for me, never really stopped. Like, for me, even a, like a week ago, I had a conversation with a family member um, asserting more boundaries. And that actually had to do with my nails, um, that I would never take them off to conform to what other people want. Um, so yeah, coming out has never really stopped. But one thing it's taught me is to be as unapologetically me that I can be. And I'm very privileged to be in a country where it's somewhat safe to do so, um, because not everybody else has that privilege or that, that right where they feel as free to be able to do that and to be safe doing that. And for me, again, it wasn't as simple as just, oh, I'm gay. It's, oh, I I'm gay, I like men. Um, I also like wearing dresses. I also like expressing myself very feminine some days. And some days, I don't even like the word mask, but very masculine, conventionally ma uh, masculine some days. Um, and it's just about knowing that I can be whoever the fuck I want to be, whatever day I want to be. That's been three years ago, more or less, or? I think so. And it's wild to think that. I think it has been three years. And how is, how is the situation now? Like your parents, do they accept you, respect you? Or is it a taboo still? Um, it's still extremely taboo because I'm Pakistani. Uh, I'm Muslim. And like I still go to the mosque. Mm. Um, I've not relinquished any parts of my identity that I grew up with because it feels right to me. And I know that I can be Muslim and be gay and that the two aren't mutually exclusive. Um, my parents are in their mid-60s. So... They moved here. I've only recently realized my mom moved here when she was about 10. Mm. And my dad moved here when he was about 13. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But they've not really moved with the time. So they moved here, never really explored, never really got out there. And they're still stuck in the mindset of Pakistanis who were raised in Pakistan under like the thumb of their parents. Mm -hmm. It's a generational thing. Um, so for them to see their son not be what they expected, it was very, very tough for them. It's still very tough for them. So yeah, like it's been three years. Um, I don't speak to any of my siblings. Um, I don't really have a relationship with any of their children, which mm -hmm. is tough. But again, that's because I'm so different to the norm of what they expect. Um, and that's okay. Um, it's not because it's frustrating. I wish people could understand that it's about the human being inside and how people express themselves and who they love doesn't hurt you. So why are you so mad? Why are you pressed? But again, you can't change people's perceptions overnight. And it's about knowing that you can live your life without needing anyone else's acceptance. But again, for me, while coming out, self-love's been a big thing. I've learned to actually love myself and not want that acceptance or need it or crave it from others and just do me regardless like it's tough that you lose people but you learn to love yourself in the process i'm so proud of 
of you, <laughs> even though I don't know you yet that much, <laughs> but it's great to hear something like that uh, from a young person like yourself, you know, mm-hmm. to already know that uh, you don't need anyone's approval. So, yeah, that's something, you know, that myself, it took me a while to, to understand mm-hmm. and I was always seeking approval and it, it came with time. So I'm really proud of you and I wanted to acknowledge you for that well, because so yeah, it's, it's great to realize that earlier in life because you don't waste your time, you know. Mm. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And how how is it for you? Well, for me, uh, when you said that you are you feel privileged that you live in a country that you know you can come out mm. and you know that you're protected. In contrary to where I am from, I'm Polish, mm-hmm. and in Poland, unfortunately, homophobia is not prosecuted, so it's quite publicly normalized to be homophobic okay. uh, and because people know that there is no repercussion when they are. So I came out uh, around 10 years ago mm-hmm. um, in front of my mom, uh, firstly, as my like closest family. Prior to that, it was my closest best friends. So it was four of them um, and I came out, oh my God, when was it? 2000 probably like, I don't remember, 10? Something like that. And so I was around uh, 20. And then, uh, so I was about to finish my bachelor's in Krakow and I decided I want to do a gap year uh, and I want to move uh, from Poland somewhere else. Um, Prior to that, I did uh, Erasmus exchange in Cyprus and that was the first time that I could kind of feel free to be myself Mm. because no one knew me there. Only my close friend of that time went with me and she knew that I'm gay. So that was the first time that I could just be myself and Mm. I loved it so much that when I came back, you know, to finish my studies and I had to come back to this, you know, shells of myself and and hiding I was like no this is no longer working so I decided I'm gonna do a gap year and I'm gonna go somewhere I decided I'm gonna come to the UK mm-hmm. and before I moved I was like okay so it'll be good to kind of tell my mom that I'm gay as well right and that was a safe way to do it because I thought if she doesn't accept me at least I am leaving anyway you exactly. know yeah. uh, it sounds a bit selfish but at the same time it was to protect myself because mm-hmm. when I was still living with her I had stories of my friends who were kicked out from their homes so I was like you know what I'm just gonna be the, do the safe bit and just tell her before I leave mm-hmm. uh, she didn't take it very uh, nicely on the beginning Um Loads of denial, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing she said is like, "I'm gonna pray for you to change," because I come off, uh, come in my background is uh, Catholic, um, so I had to explain like, "Well, thank you for your prayers. I mean, great, but I probably will not change, you mm-hmm. know, because this is not a choice." Um, and uh, yeah, so it took her a while to come to terms with that, and. There were two things that she uh, said on the beginning that were like, wow, this is who I deal with, you know, and not even like my mom, but this, my I use my mom as an example of, of the societal uh, lack of education because mm. the first thing that she said, it's like, oh, so you're a pedophile. I was like, no, oh, wow. um, that's, no, I'm me. not, you know. Yeah. But she said it with like a poker face, like mm. that's a n- normal thing to say, you know. And that comes from, in Polish, Pedal, which is fagot, um, is very similar to pedophile, mm-hmm. uh, pedophile in Polish. So pedal, pedophile, it sounds very similar in Polish. So people sometimes mix those two together, and because there's lack of, you know, education, sexual education, we don't have such thing in Poland. 
people do, you know, f- go to whatever they heard from their childhood or mm. like f- in their closest environment. So that was the first question of my mom. And second question was like, okay, so you're going to die of AIDS? I was like, oh, no, gosh. I'm not going to die of AIDS. But again, like I approached it with a very loving uh, approach because I knew that this is not her trying to, you know, poke me in any mm-hmm. way. It was just her trying to understand her son, you know. Mm-hmm. And she didn't have the knowledge. So I took, you know, that on and I was, okay, I'm going to try to, in a loving way, educate my mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, 10 years on and she's my biggest fan now. So it's it's obviously a work that we need to, well, not need, we can undertake Mm -hmm. because I always say that this is not my responsibility to educate anyone. Um, But if I do have power and strength and I am happy to invest that time, go for it you know so i said okay that's my mom i love her to bits so i will do that and uh, that's what i did then i moved to the uk um and there is a story i was supposed to be here only for one year gap year and i stayed ever since and uh, a week ago i um, celebrated my 10th year and i got british citizenship oh congratulations oh wow that's amazing (laughs) she's british polish now (laughs) <laughs> oh, we love to see it. Oh my gosh. I actually just realized <clears throat> I know a bit of Polish. Oh, do you? So Tell I can, me. so like, I could say Yakshamash. Um, yes, Dobrze. Dobrze. Or like, you can, you can reply Bardzo Dobrze. Bardzo Dobrze. Yeah. Very good. And then also, I think thank you is Cinque. Did yes, I pronounce correct. that properly? Yes, very well. I knew it. I, I mean, my pronunciation could be Polish. On, exactly, right? Shall we switch right. to Polish? No, 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 no. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no. Um, I wish. Um, has your has your mum seen you in drag? Not in person. She mm-hmm. has seen uh, me performing online mm-hmm. during pandemic, as yeah. we did. And she's seen some videos of me, pictures. Uh, I sometimes call them in full drag, you know. Oh. Um, but she has never seen me face to face as in like in, in person. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So again, on the, on the beginning, it was a bit uh, difficult for my mom to understand again, like she was worried which is a wrong way to say but she was worried that i may change change sex uh, and uh, i say worried because for her it was worry but even and that's how i reacted i was like mom even if i'm still your son yeah. i may be a daughter yeah but I still love you and nothing will change about me. Yeah. She's like, okay, okay. But it's reassuring that you're not going to change. So that's good. <laughs> Plus, I've had that exact same conversation yeah. with my parents. Yeah. I've had that exact same conversation yeah. when, when I started dabbling in like gender expression, wanting to wear, for example, like leather trousers or um, a dress or like a, like a leathery type dress because I just, I just love looking like a bad bitch. Um, <laughs> what my family got confused with was they got confused that I'm dressing as a woman. Mm-hmm. So do I want to transition into a woman? And I went, no. How I express my gender and express myself and my identity is like, it's a different thing. And that I'm very comfortable as a cis man. But that's just how I express myself. But again, even if I did want to, if I if I realised that I was trans, etc., that, that there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, again, they had the exact same experience. That, okay, we understand that you're gay, that we can somewhat grasp, but, but there's other things that we can't grasp. Yeah. Like, they don't understand what the term queer means. Yeah. I've, I've not met somebody who had similar experience when it comes yeah, to yeah. that with their parents. Mm. 
one thing I'm really intrigued by is the fact that you do drag. Um, I also have realised that I like expressing my gender in certain ways when it comes to wearing dresses. And during the pandemic, as cheesy as this sounds, that's when I discovered RuPaul's Drag Race. And that's when I actually realised drag was a thing. Because again, growing up in East London and in a Muslim family, I was so shut off from everything. Mm-hmm. Giving an example, the first time I saw a gay relationship on TV develop, or even just a gay relationship period, was um, Saeed and Christian's storyline in EastEnders, which wow. is a British soap. And I was a child when I saw that. And when I saw that, I was just really mesmerised that, oh, this is a thing, this can happen, this is allowed. This is kind of how I feel. But then my parents would switch the channel and be like, oh, this is disgusting, shame, shame, shame. Um, so how does performing and doing drag make you feel? Um, it's a process, I would definitely say that. And it is a window to explore yourself. Um, what do I mean by that is that I remember the first time I bought tits and I put them on mm. and I was like so mesmerized by looking in the mirror. I was like, wow, this is me. And this is like the tits on me, crazy. <laughs> But then that could have the uh, potential of like shaking up my... Uh, gender identity as well, right? Because up until that point, I was identifying as cis male. Mm -hmm. And when I started doing drag, I started to question that. I was like, okay, so maybe I'm not necessarily just male, but maybe there is some fluidity to it. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm non-binary, you know? Mm -hmm. Still, my um, pronouns are he, she, they, whatever rocks the boat, as long as it's used with uh, respect, Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. When I'm in drag, I prefer she. Mm -hmm. When I'm out of drag, he or they. And that would never happen probably or happened very late in my life without drag, you know. Mm. So drag was that um, speedy uh, shortcut to exploring my sexuality, my gender expression, Mm. whatsoever. And I realized that I'm gender fluid. Oh, I love that for you. How about you? Because I've noticed that you usually wear <laughs> nails. I know, I know. It How that really happened? Um, how it started was, so I started working in the sexual health sector about, in June will be two years. Wow, that's crazy. Um, two years ago. And it's literally through my amazing team that I work with, um, I saw expression through them. But again, I was living at home, living mm. with my parents. So I remember I bought my first set of nail polish from Amazon. Um, and I painted my nails. And as soon as my mum saw, she burst out crying. Um, she was very, very upset. But then I had to bring up that I used to paint my nails with my sister's polish when I was in, um, not nursery, I was in like reception or year one. So I was about six years old or seven years old and I'd go to school wearing nail polish and teachers would complain and then my mum would take it off when I got home but I'd keep doing it this was a repressed memory that I remembered and I mentioned to my mum I used to do it when I was a kid um, and now I'm a grown like I'm a grown man I'm an adult I can make my own decisions think for myself and I'm doing it now because I like it and it brings me joy my mum was bursting into my bedroom every morning with cotton wool nail polish remover every day for about six weeks until I said to her I'm not going to be taking it off If anything, you're pushing me further. Um, Then I started experimenting with more Mm colours and I felt really good. Um, And also getting creepy, like weird looks on the train and getting stares from people. At the start, it used to make me feel really uncomfortable because it was me going back into that shell of, oh, I'm different. Oh no, these things that make me happy make others like look at me with disgust. But then somehow I flipped the narrative And I felt really powerful all of a sudden that, wow, my mere existence disgusts you. I love that for me. I make you feel uncomfortable just by existing. I will love it because I'm doing nothing wrong. I'm being me. And if that riles somebody else up, that's their personal problem. That's their issue.
you recently got your British citizenship. Correct. Uh, again, congratulations. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to ask you how, how does it feel being a queer migrant living in London? It's a complex question, uh, believe it or not, because uh, I'm 32, so I spend one third of my life pretty much in the UK. So it had major impact on how I express, how I feel, how I identify. Mm. Um, and people s- sometimes ask me, well, when I wanted to apply for the British citizenship, oh, so you are so proud to be Polish, but yet you are applying for British citizenship? I was like, well, yes, because, you know, I spent here 10 years. That's a big mm. chunk of, of my life. And in the UK, I felt the safety and I felt that I'm under umbrella of protect being protected mm-hmm. to explore myself to be myself and i had the freedom to be authentically myself mm-hmm. pretty much and i'm f- so much grateful for that uh for being uh, for living in the uk and for for being safe here and uh, just the fact that i can at the end of the day also become legally british and like contribute to the society as i already did you know mm-hmm. But now I can even vote. And this is my place that I call home as well. So mm-hmm. I want to contribute. Uh, so far, I'm contributing uh, with my drag show, which is called Slav For You. And I am always saying I'm proud to be Polish, queer and proud. That's that's what I need to probably tattoo on my body at some <laughs> point. Um, but I'm now also proud to be British. Just hearing that you can be, that you feel free. Do you feel accepted? 100% here. Really? Yeah, completely. And I will continue to be proud Polish because, you know, one of the biggest diasporas here in the UK is Polish diaspora. Mm-hmm. So I want to make those people also proud to be living here. Loads of people, you know, escaped Poland just like myself mm-hmm. for the search of freedom and for the search of respect, you know. Um, and we've chosen this place, but we don't forget where we come from. Mm-hmm. So I want to celebrate that and I want to show that, yes, you can be British, you can be Polish and you can be whatever the fuck you want to be Period. and just be proud and just just live your life to the fullest. Don't harm anyone and you'll be just fine. You know, that's amazing. And the amount of visibility you'll be bringing to like your community yeah. and what that will do for others is going to yeah. be it's gonna have such a domino effect. Yeah. Oh, that makes, it's so weird meeting you for the first time <laughs> and just hearing so much. This is so lovely. I love. Yeah. We love to see it. Well, come to my drag show and I you will. will see the culture. I will. I will. <laughs> Let me know when it's next on. I will be Amazing. there. Amazing. It's cool that they didn't really know each other before talking like that. And they have that connection of being fabulous and femme when they feel like it. I love to hear how they reinvented themselves. Rob said he feels safe in the UK. It makes me wonder if I do. I guess I feel relatively safe. Not safer than in Mexico. With everything I said earlier about the police, and Mexico is one of the most violent countries in the world. When I speak to my friends in Mexico, they talk as if London is this amazing place. And I don't want to be negative Nancy, but, but the truth is I've been called names and shit more in London than in Mexico. About being queer, not being white, it's not easy to feel at home. And legally, well, I have indefinitely lived to remain, 
I can apply for my British passport, but it's a thousand three hundred. I haven't applied because I'm broke. I wonder how many others there are like me. Latinos are a growing community in the UK, and now with the recent changes to visa requirements for people from Colombia or Peru, I'm sure the community will grow even more. At the moment, there is a quarter of a million Latin Americans are registered. But the estimate is that it's more like 400,000. A lot of people come here on Spanish or Italian passports, so they don't count as Latinos. So the resources for our community aren't matching our numbers. And resources are important. It's what I'm trying to do with my work now. When I moved here, I needed to start from scratch. But really, there's no such thing. I'm carrying the experiences from my past and everything that gave me a solid earth to start with. I started Numero de Serie in 2018, focusing on the Latin American community in London. The work is all about HIV prevention and raising awareness for sexual health. I focus on making campaigns for the Latin American community around these issues. I also have an online store with designers and artworks selling garments and items. <sighs> but it's hard. I quit my job in November 22 to focus on Numero de Serie, and now I'm broke. I need to hustle. I might go back to Rita's, my friend's restaurant, which I love and gives me a cash. I need to cover my basic needs, then try to sort capital for Numero de Serie. Maybe I'm starting from scratch again. No. I'm just always building, one thing on top of the other. I am applying for grants. I am talking to potential partners. I am in the process of formalizing Numero de Serie. I want to register as a community interest company. And I am developing my two-year program. Constant reinvention. Today... I feel thankful for my community. I'm Roberto Tovar. My organization is Numero de Serie that partners with artists and designers to improve awareness on HIV and sexual health. Thank you for listening to my episode of Queer Roots and Roots, stories of where we come from and how we move in the world today. I want people to know there are resources and organizations that can help you to report a hate crime or even something about the police. There is a charity called Gallup, which is the UK's LGBT plus anti-abuse charity, G-A-L-O-P. They have a website and a helpline where you can call to get advice and support. Y bueno, ahora en español... Es importante que la gente que nos escucha sepa que hay organizaciones que pueden apoyarte a reportar un crimen de odio o discriminación, incluso si es relacionado con la policía. Existe una organización llamada Gallup que apoya a la comunidad LGBT en temas de abuso. Su sitio lo pueden encontrar en la descripción y ahí van a poder encontrar las diferentes maneras de contactarlos y recibir apoyo. Queer Roots and Roots is produced for The Love Tank by Art Nail. Produced and edited and engineered by Tash Walker and Adam Smith. 
The assistant producers are Saqib Afsal, Jose Carlos Mejia, Amardeep Singh Dillon, Chase Edwards, Stanley Iyanu, and Raj Konichna. Music by Edoy. Creative design and artwork by Richard Kahoji. Recorded at Pirate Studios in Dulcet and Hackneywick, East London. Executive producers Mark Thompson and Dale Taylor Gentles. That's me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.